Greetings and welcome to the Upper Pen Podcast. My name is Dakota and today I'm speaking with Pung Shepard about her book, The Cartographers. This book is speculative fiction or perhaps magical realism or maybe a combination of the two. The Cartographers follows Nell, a woman who used to be on track to becoming an extremely respected cartographer at the New York Public Library. Due to the junk box incident, however, she was thrown out of the only profession she ever really knew. With the death of her father, the person who fired her from the New York Public Library, she embarks on a journey that began with a map and a tragic accident from her childhood. And for now, maps have a way of exploring the past just as well as they show where she's going. Thank you, Pung, for being here. Thank you for having me. That was such a great uh, description. I should just steal yours. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it, whatever you want. <laughs> um, so tell me how you got started on the cartographers. Uh, actually, it was one of those books that was a really long time in the making for me. I think I had the idea, um, or I had started originally thinking about the idea like seven or eight years ago. And um, it all started, I was just, I was in a conversation with a couple of other writers and um, somebody mentioned that they had read this really cool article over the weekend that in dictionaries, they um, sometimes hide fake words that with made up definitions. So the word isn't real and the definition isn't real, but they hide those in there so that other dictionary makers can't copy their work, you know, because then if you can find the fake word in the dictionary, you get caught out. And I just thought that was so neat. And then somebody else said, oh yeah, that also used to be a thing with maps, didn't you know? And um, I just thought that sounded so fascinating that you could open up a map, a paper map, and potentially be looking at like somewhere on this page, there's a place put there or like a road drawn in or a mountain, you know, added that isn't actually real and you would have no idea. So it's this secret, you know, that um, that if you just that feeling that like if you could look hard enough and long enough at a map, you might be able to find the little secret on it. I just thought that was so fascinating. I think it's really great too. And it like makes me want to look at every map and now every dictionary right? and just find the <laughs> hidden <laughs> spots. I know. Yeah. I know. I don't uh, think after writing this book, I don't think I can ever look at a map the same way again now. <laughs> oh, no, I definitely know that I can't look at one after just reading it. So being <laughs> as invested as you must have been through the whole process. Yeah, there's a lot of research. That kind of brings up my next question. Um, there is so much about cartography in this mm -hmm. book. Did you start off knowing anything or was that all research? It was all research. Uh, I mean, I started off with a passion for maps. I think they're they're so beautiful and they're so interesting and uh, and I mean, who doesn't love looking at them? And so I did start off with a love for maps, but I didn't know that much about, um, you know, the process of making a map or land surveys or, you know, I think what I appreciated the most was how difficult it was back then, because before the advent of GPS, every map that was made had to be, you know, walked or driven mile by mile and everything had to be recorded that way. And, um, it just gave me such a great appreciation for how, painstaking it must have been back then. I just watched a um, a short bit of a video on YouTube about terribly drawn maps. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's always fun to find the place that you live and be like, oh, that's not at all what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you were learning about these maps, did you have to like look at a whole bunch of old maps? Because there are specific 
like maps that you have in this that are like beautifully described. So I imagine you must have seen them at some point. Yeah, that was one of the most fun parts of the research was getting to, um, you know, just pour over all these beautiful maps for hours and be like, I'm absolutely writing. I am working. I'm totally working. Um, but it was uh, sometimes it was really hard because there would be a, a map or I mean, a certain area that I would need a map of for story reasons, like without spoiling anything, I needed a map that included the New York Public Library somewhere. And I knew that I wanted it to be old and to have some kind of historical significance. And so sometimes it was really hard to find exactly the thing that I needed to fit the story because I wanted every map that I talked about in the book and every map that there's a picture of in the book to be real, you know? Um, and so that sometimes was a challenge, but also was really fun to investigate that. I think it adds a lot of texture to the book, I guess. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I really love about this book is the structure and I think it has it kind of mimics these maps that have these hidden settlements and that the cartographers all have sections that aren't listed as chapters mm. um, and so I thought that was really wonderfully done because then we get more than just Nell's perspective did you have to work and rework that a lot to kind of get those bits of backstory down I did, yeah. Um, I I think that I trend towards writing multiple perspectives anyway. My first book had four. Actually, it originally had six or something, and my editor wisely convinced me to cut it down to four. And this one, I think, has eight, maybe nine. So um, it's it's definitely something that I like doing anyway, but it was challenging for this book because um, two of the perspectives are set in the present time, and then I think the other, it's, there's like five or six, they're set about... 32 or 30 years in the past and so that all it all actually came together really late in the book I wrote all the present stuff first and then it just had these really big holes in the middle where the past stuff was going to go and then I went through and I wrote all the past stuff in um just in one go uh almost like um kind of like I was like, I, I, I don't know I, how to explain it. I had like built the mystery around the, I had built the frame around the mystery. And then I went in and I figured out what the mystery was. And then I wrote all of that kind of just in this, um, it was really, really fast. It was really, I wrote for so many hours a day. It was right towards the end of the deadline. I think it was about a month before the book was due. And I wrote all of that, which is, I don't know, probably like half the book, uh, just right at the last second. And it was very, um, I don't know, feverish and, and, um, uh, felt kind of obsessive, but it was really, really fun. That, I, I guess that <laughs> kind of works with the story, though, because, like, all of them are really obsessed and kind of feverish mm -hmm. in their tellings of these to Nell, and it's just uh -huh. really great how it mixes I was, together. Yeah, I was I was feeling it while I was writing it, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nell's one of those characters that I feel is really recognizable or relatable right away. Um mm but she's also ungodly stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> she is. So how did you write those stubborn moments or like, how did you get that to work? Cause it feels like sometimes I don't understand where her stubbornness is coming from. And then you end up having like Felix or somebody else kind of dumb it down for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, she just felt when she came to me because she's a character that when we meet her, she's gone through a lot of really bad 
things. You know, she had she lost her mother at a very young age, and then she spent her whole life trying to live up to her father's impossible standards in the field that they both love because she's hoping one that you know she can make a career of this uh, of cartography because she also loves it, but two, if she could only break through to her dad in that way and be as good as her mom, they might finally be able to be close in the way that they've never been able to be close. And then when she's right about there, she has a huge fight with him. She loses her relationship with him. And then she loses her career too, because in the ensuing argument, he ends up firing her and ruining her professional reputation. So she's, you know, cast out of the library, cast out of the industry and cast out of his life. And feels like she has no way to get back to both of these things that she loves, but is now so angry about. And so it felt when I was writing her really natural that a person who was that passionate about something, if they had been hurt that badly by it, it would turn into this kind of obsessive stubbornness where you would, you would want the thing back so badly and you'd be so desperate to make it happen that you wouldn't be able to kind of be, rational and level-headed about it and you would need people like uh felix her ex-boyfriend who maybe starts to become boyfriend again and her her best friend swan to come in and say like this is becoming dangerous for you you're you're missing things or your uh things could be happening that you aren't noticing because you're too tunnel vision about this i love that they're stubborn in their own ways too though because swan and felix are with her almost the whole way (laughs) (laughs) I think it just speaks to how how much they all love each other. You know, Swan is sort of like another father to her. And especially when her own father casts her out, he becomes really the only father figure she has in her life. And so he would really, he would do anything for her, you know. And Felix also loves her so much, even though there's a lot of dramatic history there between them. But kind of at the end of the day, both of these people, all three of them, Nell would do anything for either of the two of them and they would do anything for her. And so even though they're not quite as stubborn or quite as obsessed, they would follow her as far as she needs to go. It feels like you you built the whole book around these loving relationships. Um, and so like, I guess it makes sense that everybody's kind of motivated by this. And then you get the cartographers um, can you tell us a little bit about who they are? Yeah, so they are the group in the past, and Nell's mother and father are part of that group. And the other, it, there's seven of them, and they're all friends from a PhD program in uh, cartography. And they are sort of the, at the time that they were graduating, they're considered this really, really brilliant, groundbreaking group who each one of them has a different skill. And they always work together, and they're they're this really up and coming name in the uh, geography and cartography industry. And they're the best of friends, the same way that Nell and Felix and Swan are. But they're also they all have a little bit too much of that obsession and a little bit too much of that drive. And so when they end up discovering something, they discover a secret that's on a map. And as far as they can tell, they are the only ones that know about it. And it starts to kind of corrupt the group from the inside out because it's just such an important secret. And they all are almost too brilliant to be able to approach it um, kind of compassionately and humanely. I thought the secret was really good as a way to kind of tear them down um, Mm. because they are so close. And when you meet them at first, first in Nell's timeline, 
they're completely disparate. I mean, they yes. don't even talk to each other. So it seemed like a really good way to kind of build that, like we used to be basically family to how that could have transformed. Yeah. And it was really fun to, it was really fun to write it too, because I, as I, um, because I'm not a, I'm not a planner, I'm more of a pantser. And so as it was almost like it was all being revealed to me, like Nell met the first set of the friends in the present day. And then they, you know, they started to tell her how bad things had gotten. And I was like, why, why did things get this bad? You know, what, what did tear all of you apart? And it was this process of, it was sort of like following a map as I wrote the story, because I would go from one friend to the next. And every time you met a next friend, they would jump back in time and then tell Nell a little bit about a little more about that really, really bad summer where something terrible they all discovered something very important and then something very terrible happened and so it it really did sort of feel like following a map through my own book as I wrote it I thought that the character reveal of the two kind of hidden characters mm -hmm. um that was really great but I kind of saw it coming for a long time um, yeah <laughs> but that's not the thing that kind of got me. It was their motivations. Like I was always like, why would they be doing this? Why? Um, and then as that slowly gets revealed again, it's like you get um, somebody's story way far into the book, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I thought the motivations were really interesting. They were like the mystery for me. Ah, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think... Yeah, it just sort of, it felt like the way, I, so I don't want to spoil it by revealing too much, but the the motivations for, so some of the last motivations that you find out, which are the, the twists that you're talking about, they felt like um, they're, they're really big secrets. And so I think that's part of the reason why they made the map that the group finds and the secret that's on the map so important because they're they were too big for the people to contain and so they ended up pouring it into this map as a safe way to kind of keep the keep the emotion close but not have to acknowledge it because you could say it's not maybe it's not about a person it's about this map like it's not about you it's about this project that we're doing that we've discovered together and so when and then when you either remove the secret or remove the map either through selling it or stealing it or making it public and sharing it with the world that can drive a person who's put something else into that map kind of to, to madness because they're, they're not, it's not so much about the map. It's about what they've hidden inside the map that they're desperate not to let go. The hidden parts are always so hard to talk about in books like this. It's like, it's <laughs> so important to keep it hidden for people, yeah. but I also just want to talk about it. <laughs> um, that kind of all goes down to the release of information. Um, did you have to move stuff around after you'd placed the past sections to kind of get that release of information down so you didn't reveal anything too soon? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I have, so the book is, I don't know, I think it's 400 pages or something like that. I also have 400 pages of material that that I tried to write that didn't make it into the book because it was so difficult with two different timelines and then eight different characters trying to tell you the story. It was so difficult to figure out who was going to tell you what exactly when. And so I have I have a book, a cartographer's length book of other material of me trying to figure that out that didn't make it in because it was 
complicated. But um, I don't know, part of the fun too, you know. I don't think it would have been as compelling of a book if it was only from Nell's point of view or if we had just stuck with her timeline, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And that was how when I turned in the second to last draft to my editors, it didn't have the past stuff. It had uh, there were hints towards it, but they didn't none of the characters jumped back into the past and told the story the way that it is now in the published book. And we were all on a call talking about it. And my editors were saying, like, it's it is good, but it's missing something. It just doesn't feel whole. And I went away and thought about it for a little bit. And then I realized that what it was missing was being able to jump back and live in the past, not just hear about it. And so that's, uh, it was, like I said before, it was one of the last things that I added, but I think it was the most important thing, really. I really do think that those sections are the hidden settlements in this book. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I'm just going to steal all your sound bites. (laughs) No, that's totally fine. (laughs) Take them. (laughs) I love it. Um, So uh, you mentioned that you worked with kind of a team I assume that's like your editor and maybe the, I don't know who else it would be. Oh, yeah. I met my U.S. editor and my U.K. editor. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Did they have, do they kind of help you brainstorm how everything's going to get laid out? Or did you just kind of submit that second to last draft um, and then they kind of prodded a little bit more? Yeah, they're really good at being able to pinpoint something that's not working in a draft, which is, that's really good information. And then they're always really careful to just ask a lot of questions about what is missing or what's not right, rather than suggest, I think it's really hard to suggest something unless it's really glaringly obvious, but it, it, it's hard to suggest something because there often are a, a lot of ways you could go. Once you figure out what's wrong, there are a lot of ways that you can go. And so suggesting something doesn't always work because you they might limit the way that you can think about the ways to go. But they are, they're so good at, at saying that this part doesn't feel right or something is missing here. And that's what they were calling out in this draft was that something was missing. And then uh, I just went away and thought about it and I went back to them and said, okay, I've got this idea. We're going to jump back 30 years. There's a group of seven friends. They have a dark secret. Well, they have a, they discover a dark secret. And then each one of them has a dark secret. So there are seven secrets getting poured into this one main secret. And they, they were like, you know what? Just, just try it. Just write it and try it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that seems like the best course of action when you have that many things going on at once. Oh yeah. It was. Yeah. And also I'm so bad at, uh, because I, I, figure things out through writing them out. I can't think them out. I have to write them out. And so they sort of knew, they were listening to me say all this chaos and (laughs) none of us were making any sense. They said, just, just go write it. We can push the deadline. We trust you. (laughs) That's really great to have editors like that. (laughs) Oh yeah. They are amazing. They are, they're truly the best. Have you worked with them since the book of M? I worked with the U.S. my U.S. editor since the book of M, and my U.K. editor is a new U.K. editor for this book, but he's just brilliant, and they both know each other, actually. They've been friends for a long time, and um, I actually think that when he was telling me that early on in his career, they had this exchange program where they would send young editorial assistants from the UK to the US for, I don't know, a month or so to work in in the New York office. And so he was with my US editor way back then, and they were buddies. And they've been saying that ever since they want to do a book together, and they just never have. And 
finally now, like a decade or two later, we're, do- we're all doing one together. So it's really fun. That's magical because it yeah. mimics your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like past history being drawn back together. <laughs> it's really great how that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, the book kind of feels like both magical realism and speculative fiction. And I know mm. it's not really fair to ask because authors generally don't care what their books are categorized as. But um, what would you say this is more closely tied to? I might say speculative fiction because I think that that leaves you a little bit more room if you're going to, because the, I think in this book and then also in the book of M, there are a lot of fantastical things that happen, but some of them are sort of rooted in science. And so they feel sometimes like they're straddling the line between fantasy and science fiction. And I think speculative is a broader term than magical realism. And also a lot of times in my books, when a weird thing happens, everybody does react to it and say, wait, that's really weird. That's not possible, (laughs) which is a a sort of different tone than sometimes in magical realism. But I might also say, I've seen some people starting to categorize this as they put it in like the mystery or the crime or the thriller section. And I could, I can kind of see that too. I could see that, but I think it's better as speculative fiction. I do. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Yeah. It just seems more encompassing, I guess. Um, yeah. But um, so there are very few writers that I interview for this podcast that have gone to school for writing. Mm-hmm. Um, How has that shaped your ability to write or your career? I think it played a huge part in both of those things. So uh, I, well, first I, so I graduated from university and actually did a different master's degree and I was working a corporate job for several years before I decided to take the plunge. And um, so I ended up quitting that job and then I went to get this writing degree. So I came to it a little bit later than, uh, that I might, if I had just gone all the way straight through, but I think it was, I think for me, it was valuable to do it a little bit later when I was a little bit more mature. And also I think because, so I grew up reading science fiction and fantasy and that genre feels like home to me. That's that's my home. And so when I started the MFA program at NYU, I didn't have, uh, I, I mean, I, I read a lot, but I didn't have as much formal exposure to literary fiction as I did by the time I came out of that program. And I think that it really helped me figure out the kind of stuff that I want to write because I had been having I loved to write, but I'd been having trouble writing or finishing anything before the MFA program because I was trying to write straight science fiction or straight fantasy. And even though I love reading it, it turns out that I'm not as good at writing that straight up stuff as I am when I'm kind of going back and forth, uh, crossing the genre lines and or just, you know, sort of sitting on the fence. And I think that all of the literary fiction that I read in that program and all of the discussions that we had, it helped me figure out that it helped me figure out my place, like where I want to write, how I want my books to feel and that sort of thing. This feels a lot more literary than just straight up science fiction, as you said. Um, and I think that comes from just having that much exposure to <laughs> like so. classics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would have taken me 
so much longer, I think, to have found all the books that I read in that program. And because you just had so many really brilliant teachers saying, this is what we're reading. We're all reading this, read this. Here's a huge list. And so I was just exposed to a lot of it really quickly. And then I had, you know, these brilliant people telling me things about it. And so it was really, uh, I'm so grateful that I did it. Yeah, I think um, that it it helps a lot with just so I felt the the reading classes were probably more important even than my workshop classes, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just because you get a sense of what kind of writing you want to be doing, I guess. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you write the book of M while you were at your MFA? No, I actually. Um, so one of my professors there, I remember on the very first day of the first workshop that we had, he sat down and he told us, his name's Darren Strauss, and he said, okay, I know that all of you are very excited and you're very ambitious and you're gonna work very hard, but I want you to know that the thing that you're writing right now and the thing that you're gonna write throughout this program is not the thing that's gonna get published. That's not gonna be your book. So just like, you should just be here to learn, stop worrying about publication. It's gonna be the thing that you start immediately after you graduate that's going to be the thing that you publish because you're going to have taken everything you've learned and put it into the new thing. And I think probably none of us believed him, even though he was totally right. And, and he was totally right. The things that we were all writing in the program, basically none of them got published. And then a bunch of us started books right after myself included. And mine was the book of M and it got published. And so did uh, some of my other classmates. So Darren was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was always right. <laughs> It's weird how they have a knack for being right, even though we, yeah. you know, don't believe them. <laughs> I mean, he has been doing it for a while. And he said, I tell every class this, none of you believe me. And then you'll graduate and you'll go, Darren, you were right. And I did. I emailed him and I said, hey, you were right. <laughs> uh, what kind of books would you recommend if people were looking to read something after The Cartographers? Kind of similar. Mm, that's a good question. I, let's see. I think if you are after the more fantastical um, elements of the book. If you want something like that's like that, I would recommend maybe reading The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow because it's got a lot of that same, it's a little more fantastical than this one even. And if you're looking for the dark academia vibes, I guess is what I would call them, I would recommend maybe The Secret History by Donna Tartt or When We Were Villains by M.L. Rio because I think those have got that same brilliant, you know, secluded group with a dark secret and, and things just get more twisted from there, that kind of thing. When I was reading The the Doors of January, I can't remember the exact title, even though you just said oh, it. Oh, The 10,000 10, Doors, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was so jealous of Alex Haro's ability to just write. Everything was so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Every sentence was kind of just music <laughs> yeah it's so lyrical and also everything she writes like she has a couple of different books out uh now and just every sentence that she writes is so lyrical it's so lovely and um that book Ten Thousand doors of january has that i love this thing when people do a book within a book just just fantastic so um yeah i love that one so much i do think it's a really good companion to the cartographers though because yeah yeah, it's it's beautifully done, and then yours is wonderfully done, and it's just, <laughs> you're so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Are you working on any, anything right now? I am. I am about maybe halfway through the first draft of my third novel, and it's going um, pretty well, I think. So I'm very excited about that. 
is the which novel did you write under the grant that you got after your MFA? This, uh, the cartographers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, must that have been was. extra nice so that you didn't have to worry so terribly much about what was coming or your paycheck oh, was, was coming from. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, especially because this book got bumped a whole year because we, um, when I thought of adding the all of the you know the middle characters and jumping back thirty years in time, it was it was definitely the right decision. It made the book so much better, but it did add a lot of time to the rewrite. And so uh, that was yeah, the grant was just an amazing. Um, so I, some, I think back and I'm like, I still can't believe that happened. I mean, it was just such an honor and um, just so, so wonderful. Well, clearly you did wonderful things too. So you know you deserved every. <laughs> every moment of it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, thank you, Pong, for being here. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. Um, the Cartographers is available March 15th. I highly suggest it. It'll make you think and feel, and it even made me cry a little at work. <laughs> so <laughs> um, as always, thank you for watching and have a great day. Bye. Thank you.